Hello, and welcome to another episode of Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob, sometimes known as Shuggy Two Sheds. Shuggy. <laughs> Coming to you from an undisclosed location, far from the downtown metropolis area, from now on. <laughs> uh, I have to say we are excited about today's show, and the main reason we are so excited is that it's the last episode before oh, we take a right week off. Yeah. <laughs> I we, thought of that earlier today, and uh, I didn't register. We, we love doing this show, but we also love our week off. Uh, because this has been our longest theme ever on this show, ever. We're exhausted. We have, we have ever done on this show. We are, uh, not really, because we have long <laughs> hiatus, but five weeks long. But, but it also, you know, even though it's been a long, I haven't noticed it like some others. I haven't noticed it like the other ones. No. This has been very enjoyable. No, it's because all the albums were really good. Yeah, all the albums were really good. They were, it's, uh, they're different in, in, in ways. Yeah. And, it, and it really has been one of our most, I'm not going to speak for Rob. I'm going to let Rob speak for a second. But for me personally, it's been one of our most enjoyable themes I think we've, we've ever done. Don't you think, Rob? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I can't tell you why. Just uh, I enjoyed listening to all the uh, the records. I think why I don't know why. Yeah, you're right. I don't, I can't why Pin we did down. we did really enjoy listening to the records because they were all great. But uh, it, usually by the last episode of our theme, we're just kind of anxious to move oh, on. Oh yeah, we're tired. I don't know. I don't know what <laughs> the word is. Tired. We're just anxious I'll to work on. Tired. Yeah, I, I I not that when you listen back to our last theme of every show oh. the last show was the stinker oh no what'd what you do that? <laughs> I don't know what I did <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I did is that me it's coming from your computer we should really edit this out you and your tabs no. oh it was a tab I'm sorry it was one of my tabs I knew it was one of your tabs your tabs are like little booby traps little minefields we're going to keep that in. We're not going to that uh, it's under nine seconds. Oh, I know. Well, so I know which tab it is. We it's won't a, get sued for it. It's a tab that we won't get sued for that. But it was a tab. We don't edit, <laughs> so we can easily edit this out. But we won't. Uh, it's a tab that I, I rarely use. It's the, I'm going to tell them. It's the all music tab well, that I needed a couple of anecdotes for when we reviewed the album. And uh, that could happen again because I've never actually had an all music tab, but I know that their commercials come up once in a while. Oh God, I hate you know what? Day. I'm actually going to get rid of it because I actually did get when I was bringing it up. I actually did get the information I needed by reading it, so I'm just going to get rid. I'm going to go like this and go boop. You're gone. <laughs> so that won't happen. That freaked me out. I didn't know where that was coming from. I thought it was like uh, <laughs> your phone ringtone or something. But you know what? When I hear that, it makes me go woohoo. <laughs> yeah, you just want to go um, dance. You know, most people violently. I think, I think Rob violent like, dance. Ninety-eight percent of the people that do podcasts would edit that out, but we don't do that. That's because they got time on their hands. We don't. No, we're busy. We're busy. Busy people. Right, we don't. I, I'm surprised we even have time to do the show. Anyways, <laughs> I don't even know what I was talking about. The music came up. Oh, we just we just have really enjoyed. I wanted to just say that it's not that we don't enjoy the last episode of every theme. It's just that. When that show is over, we are really ready to move on to the next theme. This one, I could actually probably do two or three more albums. I don't know where they would come from in the same <laughs> theme, but I have not been—I uh, have not been all that anxious to uh, move on. But we do have to next 
when we get together two weeks from now, we will have a new theme. And I already know what the theme is. I know what the themes are for the next year. <laughs> but it's going to be a really cool theme. And uh, But for today, we have our last album in our uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young theme. And it's Graham Nash's uh, debut album from uh, 1971, Songs for Beginners. Not at all like Rob's first solo album, Songs for Losers, <laughs> which, was, which uh, was a bad, depressing album, to be honest for, with you. For Vagrants. That was my second <laughs> album. My songs for Losers was, was awfully depressing. <laughs> and um, uh, Rob, how was your week this week? I got completely sunburned. Uh, I had to uh, spread lotion all over myself to uh, keep from uh, peeling too bad. Uh, I was in excruciating pain for a while, and uh, it was pretty good. I liked it. I got to do that again. So now, once again, <laughs> it's uh, odds and ends. Odds and ends. Lost time is not found again. Uh, just one thing. I like to do it again. I love it. Odds and ends. Odds and ends. Lost time is not found again. See, if we could do that, Rob, where you go, odds and ends. That I can do last time. It's, it actually has sort of a rhythmic quality. Yes, we should have worked this out in rehearsal, but today it seems like a live rehearsal, doesn't yeah, it? Because everything's just going do it wrong. Live and it'll be what it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's a mark yeah. of a successful show. If unscripted, unscripted. If you think this is amateurish, <laughs> it is, and thank you. Um, we actually do. We actually do quite a bit. We don't do too much anymore, but we actually did quite a bit of editing in shows. People didn't even know. People don't even know the editing we do it. Like we don't do it anymore in the middle of shows too much because we don't make yeah. too many mistakes that we feel. I don't and think we, we make any mistakes that we don't feel have like. phones ringing or doorbells going off in the background. So I, I, we're getting to the point that even if it did, we don't really give a shit. Yeah, who cares? Yeah, if it's part the of the show, we feel that it's 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 cool. We don't want to make you know we don't want to we want to be as professionals. Trust me, if you're around me, you know that I want to make this as good as possible. But I also like the things that happen when you actually do a show. It's really pretty cool. Interruptions detract from the spontaneity. That's what I've been that's, telling that's the our motto for years. Yes, that's our motto. Just like when we play music, you like mistakes are good in music. That's rock and roll. So. Odds and ends again. <laughs> Somehow we got drawn away from odds and ends. Uh, it's uh, just one thing today on odds and ends, and it's uh, something uh, I've something I've never done on sounds from the seventies ever. And this is my changing my rating of the album from the week before. But I have a good excuse: is that every. Like we did, uh, sorry, we did a David Crosby's If I Could Only Remember My Name last week. And that's a four and a half star record. And it always has been for the last three or four years. And for some reason, either I forgot or I just got carried away with what I was saying. But I have never given David Crosby's album, album uh, five stars. And I just made a mistake. I just... I meant to give it four and a half, and for some reason that I don't really know, I gave it five stars. So I'm changing, it's not really changing my rating, it's actually going back to what I had originally was going to give it, which was four and a half, and I really have this big black hole in my head of why I gave it five stars. I do think that I just got carried away with how good the album was when we were talking about it. I haven't heard it in a long time. Yeah, I was excited, um, and I blew my load a little bit early. It happens. Mm -hmm. 
ask anyone. So, which tells me before we do today's episode, not today's episode, but today's record album, we have given every album in this Crosby, Stills, and Nash Young uh, theme four and a half stars, except David, not, yeah, except David Crosby, you gave four stars. Every album has either rated four or four and a half stars, which tells you the quality of albums we have been listening to for the last four weeks, and we still got one more. So uh, it's just it's just really, uh, by the way, uh, not to uh, detract. Not not, 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 not to give too face. much away. Not to give oh. t- too much away, but there won't be too much of a change today either. <laughs> <laughs> Um, now it's time. This is where I need my tab, but not the all music tab because I don't need that anymore. It's time for viewer email. Now it's no. Oh, don't wreck things. Don't wreck things. <laughs> now it's time for my top thirty songs of all time. Songs that are fantabulous, magnificent, majestic, eternal, and quite good. And this would be number. Uh, I hate doing that every. Do I have to do that for like eighteen more times? You do. You do. You earned it. <laughs> This week, uh, my pick is Jackie Wilson's hit from 1967, Your Love Keeps Lifting Me Higher and Higher, Baby. Higher than ever before. Now, I know Rob knows this song quite well. Do you, Rob? I actually don't. I do. But I, I think, don't know it quite well, but I do, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think everybody knows this song that grew up with radio in our time. It got played on uh, oldies. All the time. It's just, uh, it, it was another unbelievable no-brainer for me, uh, making up uh, top 30 songs. This one was like, boop. You know, how those, there are songs that it just like takes you, I don't know, there's like 15 songs right away. You go, okay, oh, so yeah, this, yeah, yeah. And this is one of those 15 songs that just takes no time whatsoever. This was not a maybe yes, maybe no. This was a definite yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We are going to get to some of the maybe yes, maybe no songs though, but a little bit later when other songs come up. And it's not, it's just because, uh, I don't know why. It's just because they're not automatic. Sometimes they grow on you and stuff like that. Not like moss, but they grow on you musically in the moss ear. Moss grows on me because <laughs> I haven't been rolling. I'm a stone who hasn't been rolling. Now, uh, your love keeps lifting me higher and higher. Uh, was recorded by uh, two members of, they were staff writers for Chess Records. Everybody knows Chess Records, Leonard Chess, um, with all the blues artists and Chuck Berry and and ripping off the artists and just a great, <laughs> just one of the classic record labels of all time. And so they had a couple of writers, uh, Gary Jackson, and for some reason I can't come up with this. Uh, I'm the other guy. Raynard, uh, Raynard Minor? Yes. No. The song was originally written. I'm sorry. Uh, We should edit that out. We should do a lot of editing today. (laughs) (laughs) Because imagine we have edited there. And we'll carry on as if the editing had been (laughs) seamlessly (laughs) done. The song was originally written by Chess Records in-house writers and producers Carl Smith and Raynard Minor. There's three people. That's why I got confused. I didn't know which one was which. Because there's another person who came in and wrote it, who's Gary Jackson. Because the two writers, I'm really making this a lot more confusing than it is. This is my fault. Carl Smith and Raynard Miner wrote the original version of Higher and Higher. 
and they gave the song to the Dells on Chess Records. And the Dells did their version, but it wasn't released. It just wasn't up to snuff or whatever. They just didn't feel it was it was right yet. So they they brought in Gary Jackson. He made some changes to the song and pitched it back to uh, Davis at uh, Brunswick Records. And they recorded the song. They gave the song to Jackie Wilson. Jackie Wilson sang it. And they did it in a kind of a, as a soul ballad. And well, right half, away. Half tempo of what it was? Or? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just it was just a soul ballad. Yeah, exactly. Like like the tempo was definitely uh slowed down. And uh and he said that and Jackson said this is uh totally wrong. Uh, sorry, D- uh, Davis said it was uh I don't know who this Davis is. Who's Davis? Davis, yeah. Oh, Carl Davis. Uh uh I'm really fucking this. <laughs> <laughs> Producer Carl Davis, the producer Carl Davis. Holy smokes, this is the worst I've ever done on anything on the show before. Uh, Carl Davis said, "No, this is totally wrong. This doesn't sound right. You got. Let's speed this up. Let's do it. I want you to sing it this way at this tempo. Jackie, can you sing it like this? Da 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 da. da whatever. And let's do it. You know what? Jackie Wilson nailed it on the f- one take. On the first take. One freaking take." <laughs> And I just, uh, but as great as Jackie Wilson is, and he's one of the greatest soul singers of all time, uh, it's uh, it's one of those songs, those soul singer songs that's actually really about the instrumentation. Then, and that doesn't you don't say that too much about soul singers. And I'm not demeaning uh, Jackie Wilson at all. He 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 has sung it better than anybody. There's been a lot of cover versions of it. He sung it better than anybody. But this song is built on the arrangement, not the eh. <laughs> the arrangement, the horns coming in at the right time, everything about this, and, and his vocals. And it's a combination. Usually a lot of times a classic song can be sung by like an Otis Redding, and he can totally make it an indispensable song by himself. Even though he may have Booker T and the MGs playing great behind him, it's really his vocals, yeah, work, yeah, that pulls that pulls it from great into like, like untouchable. But on this occasion, it was already with the arrangement untouchable, as far as I'm concerned. And then Jackie Wilson just made it even more classic by putting his. But well, that's on. an interesting thing. Is sometimes you know uh, when you you're just doing an experiment in the studio. Uh, you don't think about doing a good tape. You just think about relaxing and hearing what it sounds like. And uh, you accidentally, uh, you know, if you get a good take like that, uh, you, you keep it. Uh, so I think uh, he wasn't kind of planning on uh, keeping that take. Uh, he just thought, uh, let's hear what it sounds like. I don't like think they ever plan. I, like, it's hard to get in the mind of what what people are like back in the 60s because we were... Yeah, either we not know. born yet or we I were mean, they just didn't even born. have a multi-track recording back then. Yeah, and we kind of know, see, and they also did things live back then. Even when we were coming up, we were still working with reel-to-reel tapes when we were recording at the very end of that. And uh, you still recorded everything instrumentally, and then you put vocals on top. They pretty much in 67, even at that time, were doing everything live. And he may have sung over the track, or he may have played it with the band. I don't know. But I agree with Rob in that most of the time you think, like, you're just going to do a run-through of it. 
and yeah. see how it works. And uh, sometimes that's yeah, when you're more expressive. Yes, you relax and uh, there's nothing on your mind other than just uh, hearing what it sounds like. Maybe even, like you said, experimenting a little bit with your vocal and it worked brilliantly on this. It was just, it was just amazing. And it's got that guitar, which I think is just, I don't know why, but it this song just makes you, I hate songs on the radio that makes you want to dance because I'm in a freaking car. <laughs> <laughs> but when I hear those coming and then a bass line, you know, in this song, and it just makes me feel good. I love songs that just make you feel good because you feel like it's done, which this was done on one take, but also like the songs that make you feel like if we don't get this on one take, we're done. So let put everything you got into it because we got no more time <laughs> in the studio. Let's do it. So you put everything into it and there's just joy coming out of the song. And that's what this feels like. It's like three minutes of absolute joy to me. And then it's already two verses in and and choruses and then the horns come in and that always blows me away it's one of my favorite things of of soul music or rock and roll or anything that i listen to of, of the songs that i think are just like this that are in my top 30 of all time one of my favorite things ever of all the thousands of thousands of songs i've ever heard is when those horns come in in the middle of the song and it just oh it sends me to seventh heaven i'm just like oh my god because this song get any better and then he sings kind of like over then the 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 kind of like because before the the um the horns are very like bass like they're very like boom 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 you know like like the ba the bass notes yeah, on the saxophone the, not yeah. as dominant playing short not as notes, dominant and then notes. they're kind of in there for the rest of the song and they're livelier they're up in the mix more and it's brilliantly mixed it's brilliantly arranged uh having the horns come in halfway through the song to take it home i don't know it's just i'm amazed at at how they 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 do these things so quickly because you didn't have like you do nowadays yeah. where you work on a song for two months. I mean, <laughs> you didn't work to on build song. like that throughout the song. You kind of have to view it as four different songs almost. Uh, you do. It's a, they could do stuff we can't do. I mean, just the opening. <laughs> I mean, we, just they do stuff. You, they, you know, and that has to do. I'm, and you know this, Rob. This has to do with playing live, which they don't do anymore. You know. Uh, nobody plays live anymore. In fact, uh, most instruments aren't even <laughs> being played anymore. But it's the combination of playing live, feeding off each other's energy. Everybody's really stoked. Yeah. And it, it, it has to do with the analog tape, the warmth of it, uh, which they don't have anymore, they don't use. And it's just, it's just so warm. It's just so, it just makes, it, it, when you put it, this song on at a party, if you got a dead party, it's not going to be dead for at least three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you put this song in live enough, and if you want to kill the party again, let me pick the music. <laughs> I know how to kill a party with music. It reminds me of uh, you know Animal House when they do uh, Shake uh, or um, yeah, I, um, um, uh, I was just watching that last week. Shout when they do shout, shout. make me want to shout. It's kind of like that, but not as long, and uh, it's kind of like a really condensed version of of that classic scene from 
from Animal House. It just, it just, your love keeps lifting me higher and higher. It just has that. You cannot kill a party putting that on. You can only make it better. And just to kind of end this, it's it's just a no-brainer for top song uh, of all time for me. It's just like, wow. And there have been some really, it's funny, there have been some not great versions. I will mention one. And I don't think it's a not great version, but it's a radically different version by Rita Coolidge. I remember it's one of the first songs I heard when I started listening to the radio uh, in 1977. And she did a version, and I loved it just because it was so greatly. It's a, a song that is so written, really, but it didn't have the horns. It had like keyboards instead of the horns, so it was it was completely different. Even though it had the same like tempo and everything, but it, it was different. But it was still really good because the song's really good, and she's of course a great singer. But it didn't have that soul thing, but it had more of that laid back kind of vibe, but it still worked. It's one of those songs that it seems like no matter what the fuck you do with it, it's still going to be good. And that's 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 a, a great uh, notification that you've written a fantastic, enduring song. And yet it's amazing how these guys, these are in-house writers, probably are writing songs all the time. Yeah, song a week. Yeah, song a week <laughs> well, type More than thing. that even. Yeah, and you know... <laughs> to come across this where it's so perfect is i don't know it's just anyways talking about a little bit too, oh yeah i just want to end that by just saying it and it did it got into number 246 way too high for me on the rolling stones list of the 500 greatest songs of all time i would definitely put this in at least the top 20 or on my list of top up 30. Up higher than 246. Up higher than 246. I, You know, just personally speaking, that's outrageous to me. This song should definitely be in the, at least the top 50. And um, yeah, just just great stuff. And next week, no, we won't be on next week, but the next show. Next show. I don't think we're going to have this on for next show. i just let you know, because there are some pieces I've been wanting to do for weeks and weeks that I've been putting off because... I always feel that we should do this segment, but this segment always takes yeah. away from another segment. So we're probably going to leave uh, the top 30 songs of all time for a show or two until I can get those segments in, and then we'll come back to it. Hey, I'm going to be doing this for another 19 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> we got plenty, plenty of time. Plenty of time, you kids. Hey, you kids. Get away from my well, top 30 songs. And, and then what are you going to fill it in with after you've done the top 30 songs? Then only the top 50 songs that never should have been written. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> I'd have plenty of that. I just, oh, I just heard one. Maybe a top 10. I just heard one on 50 the... 50 is too many. Going to the studio. Not to the studio. Well, yeah, to the studio here. Uh, before I got... I had to pick up Rob today and... Uh, Lady in Red. Oh my God, I hate that song. <laughs> I wish that song was never written. Should never have been written. Christoberg. Oh, God. I love his album Spanish Train. Spanish Train is a very good song. It was as as kids, it was a very magical song because it was one of the first songs that they that you kind of played on storytelling song. Yeah. That uh, that whole album I thought was really good. But uh, and the Lady in Red is just a Lady piece of dribble. And uh, there's a few. See, we got on to again. There's a few others he did later in the career. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, He's 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 what I call uh, uh, limp limp rock. 
<laughs> he, he had a choice of going uh, two different directions, and he, uh, he chose one. That, he uh, could have gone hard rock, but he decided to go limp rock. He's a very imaginative writer, but when you start confining and going with the formula, you give up some of that imagination in favor of something else. I uh, tell you, like uh, I'm just, prizes and endless compromises. Oh, yes, exactly. I would, I would put that song seriously in in the list of right up there. With I just called to say I love you by Stevie Wonder. You all know how much I hate that, <laughs> and I love Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder. Okay. When we so. do Stevie Wonder, <laughs> you will see how much I gush over Stevie Wonder. But that song. Holy fuck, it's and like the worst song written song. by him. So we've already got three of them on the list. Oh, and sometimes when we touch by Dan Hill. Oh, Dan Hill, number four. We got four on the list. So uh, keep that keep that list going. <laughs> <laughs> this one's going to come up periodically. Uh, just uh, You can't uh, quell the hate. It bubbles up. Okay, we got to sneak this in here because we haven't done this in what seems like forever. But email, email, email. You should have done email uh, before. I love email. I know, me too. How about you? Yes, it's the best. So email. <laughs> What's on email tonight? That was our email guy. He gives us the email <laughs> and I just take the email from him and I say, isn't this the best? And he always goes, yes, Gary, now just do the thing. Email. Okay. <laughs> email. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we haven't had email in so long. I almost forgot what the segment was about. It's but about it's email. about email. Jeez, a we haven't viewer, done this so long. When we name and then make fun of their name, we read the letter and then. Uh... Now, usually, how we work this is Rob reads the question and then yeah. I answer it. But, but I have a computer. If we're unprepared, we're then f- I don't. Well, two read things. It. Two things. If we're unprepared, unprepared, which we always are now. And third, secondly, third, I went to third already. There's no third. And secondly, <laughs> I've got a computer which is hanging on by the thin of its thread. So if I hand it to Rob to read the question, there could be no more show. Yeah, fall right <laughs> apart. So, uh, that computer is going to die, but it's going to die at your hands. So we're going to both answer the question. Sure. I'm going to read it. Uh, today's email is from Rob, okay. but not Rob Rob. Not our Rob. Oh, from a different Rob. It's from Rob from Dorchester, there England. Are many Robs? I'm assuming that you guys are not related. Do you know any Robs in Dorchester, England? Just because oh. your name's Rob, you are related. No, the family came over by golly uh, a few hundred years ago. I don't know what part of uh, England. Uh, I don't yeah, know you know up. what? I oh geez, if I could have intercepted that ship, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <could've. laughs> I would have had a monkey as a sidekick today. <laughs> so uh, Rob's question is, out of all your episodes, which one is your favorite? Now, that's a tough one. I tell you, that's a tough one because we've done, first of all, we've done a lot of episodes and they all they all go into one another. They're just like, uh, you know what? They're like all our babies. How am I supposed to pick a baby when yeah. they're all so beautiful? <laughs> Each and every one. Do you want to answer that one first, Rob? I'm looking over the entire list because I have no definite one in mind. But uh... Well, then I'll go first because I know which one I really, really like. I don't, I just remember little bits and pieces because you do so many shows. Yeah. But I do remember episode nine when we did the uh, Maggot Brain by Funkadelic, which is one of my favorite shows. I just remember that. We had a really good time listening to the album and, and reviewing it. But that was also when we got a letter from Mr. Winchester. And I didn't read the letter before we got on the air. And that was my 
favorite moment we ever did on the show is when I read Mr. Winchester's letter to us, which was full of hate and vile, and yet it made me laugh uncontrollably, and I couldn't contain myself, and we should have done it over again, but Rob said, you know what? That was perfect because <laughs> it just it was just so spontaneous that we decided to keep it in and not edit it out and redo it. And I just have a lot of joy over doing that episode. And the only one that I really remember is also I, I you know one of my our favorite segments. And even though I was going through a tough time because I was getting ready to move and crap like that was our Woodstock fiftieth uh, anniversary uh, shows. And mainly because oh yeah Bora Bora we 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 this is our first Bora Bora, Bora. and, and his, that was also the uh, the Country Joe and the Fish Week wasn't it uh, that was also the Country yeah. Joe and the Fish Week which was our worst episode ever <laughs> and was <laughs> in there but actually it wasn't our worst episode it was just yeah. the worst it was just the most boring record we had ever reviewed but the episode was actually good because that was the first time we had ever read Bora Bora's account. I mean, it went over three oh, episodes. Great. It went three episodes. One, it was one for each day of the festival. And I got, cause he had so many notes on it and it was so funny because they were the actual translations of his writing in French. <laughs> and I did not make up anything. Rob, you can testify. It's what the computer gave you. It's what the computer gave me. It was the actual translation of what Bora Bora gave us for how he felt Woodstock was. <laughs> and it just, it, it, that and reading the letter from Mr. Winchester are my favorite things that we've done on this show. Or at least they're the ones that stand out the most in my head. And so that anything from you? The only thing I can think is uh, one time I any I, the time I really enjoy an episode is uh, we get an album and it totally uh, surprises you, it totally blows you away, and you realize that uh, the, the, there's this huge talent you've been missing. Uh, and it's not like I didn't know these. My people beloved existed. Judy Sill. Judy Sill. Uh, Boy, Gladys Knight uh, had uh, oh, that was a Gladys good album. And the Pips in an entirely different category. Other than a commercial album. Vegas act, they were actually a really great like, soul act. Holy crap! Um, I have uh, to admit. Oh, you know what? Superfly uh, FM. Uh, that Superfly. Album. You know, you bring up things. <laughs> Superfly totally took us by. We were expecting a good album, uh, and we got both of us got blown away in almost exactly the same yeah. way. And that, you know what, you're right. That's one of my favorite episodes ever because of discovering how great that whole week was. Because when you got a great album that you yeah. discovered, your whole week is great because you get to listen to it all the time and you discover more things. And uh, Gladys Knight was another one. I was just, oh, Gladys Knight and the Pips was such a glorious album. And to rediscover that they were not like you see them on TV. They were a real soul r&b band and it was like wow this is great stuff gutsy ballsy hairy <laughs> exactly uh, it was not thin watered it was well thought out intelligent well played wow yeah yeah that's a i don't have any specific one uh, no but i know what you mean I, yeah i think you're what you're yeah, saying is those are your favorite like episodes that. are the ones where the albums really that you didn't know about much about the artist or you had preconceptions about the artist yeah. and they totally blew you away. Yeah. yeah. I totally agree with that. By the way, if anybody wants 
This is not a, a mind-bending question, but anybody wants to know my least favorite episode, it's a tie between... <laughs> no, it can't, it can't be because we had Bore Bore on. It can't be the Country Joe on the Fish. It has to be the Grease episode. I hate, <laughs> I hate reviewing an album that is so bad. It makes me want to uh, totally... You know, diss everybody that was involved in it and why it was made, and that it is also one of the best selling albums in the history of music. I think it's number four or something like that. Still to this day, oh, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, silly human race. Yeah. At least Captain and Tennille didn't sell, you know, 50 million copies of their Song for Joy. <laughs> Song for Joy. Fuck you. <laughs> Song for Misery and Pain. So, anyways. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> I'm Dorchester, England. I'm gonna uh, wait another uh, until I get the appropriate question before I tell you what my worst episode was. Yeah, what's your, what's your worst episode? That would be the uh, the Black Sabbath. Yeah, we're not gonna talk about yeah, that. We won't one. talk about that. No, one. that will never be uh, a topic. We'll, <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, you won't. Yeah. Okay. So, anyways, thank you, Rob, from Dorchester, England. You tub thumper. I've wanted to say that for quite a while. Waiting for a letter from England. Gotta say it. You tub thumper. Um, remember, if you have something to ask us, then email us at soundsfromthe70s at gmail.com. That is one word soundsfromthe70s at, you know, it's that at that has, hey, that's not an at, but it looks like an A that's that's calligraphied. Yeah, that's what it is. At, I think it's like a musical symbol. That, it's uh, like a musical symbol that says, yeah. hey, play more A. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's in the clef of at. <laughs> gmail.com, again, sounds from the 70s at gmail.com. And if your question is read on the show, you could get one of our custom-made sounds from the 70s t-shirts but you won't because we haven't made them yet. But there's always a chance. You never know. You All of a sudden, it could arrive right on your doorstep for somebody else to take. Or just... And it says, sounds... <laughs> I'm making this up now because I don't know what it's going to look like. But it says, sounds from the 70s. And it's got a picture of Rob on the toilet. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say I'm not on the toilet in the traditional way. <laughs> it's not the kind of shirt you would bring to work. That's all we're saying. So our final album in our Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young extravaganza of five weeks. Extravaganza. Is actually exactly a year a year in the uh, in the life of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young from since this is the last episode. Crazy, we should I guess year. from Deja Vu. Until Graham Nash's Songs for Beginners, which is what we're doing today. Uh, the group went from the highest of highs as being the best-selling group in the world, even more than the Beatles. And they broke up and then released four solo albums, all in a span of 13 or 14 months. And uh, we decided to look at that year, that chaotic year of early 1970 to early 1971. Um, so we're going to do the last one, which is Graham Nash's debut album from 1971, Songs for Beginners. Mm -hmm. The last album started and the last album released of the four solo albums. And yeah, like I said, they broke up in late 1970. Now, uh, if you all should be knowledgeable about Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young to know that Graham Nash is the limey in the group. Is that appropriate to say? I believe so. You can, um, you can take the boy out of the British invasion, but you can't take the British invasion out of the boy. 
I don't know what that means. I don't either. Because I don't think it has anything to do with limey. <laughs> no offense, we're just joking. I know we got a lot of English listeners out there, so we're just we're just we're just pulling your yank on that one. If you were French, we'd say frog, right? Mm-hmm. No, I wouldn't oh, go that far because go. that's that's terrible. You know what? Uh, your prejudices come out so much in the show. <laughs> um, this is uh, this is like I said. This is the last album released. This is uh, everybody seemed to get to. to to preview most of their songs in the last months of Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, and you know uh, Graham Nash was no different. He uh, premiered a couple of his songs before he recorded them. Uh, everybody, you know, thinking that Graham Nash was the amiable one in the group, which he is, the one that that kind of sews the together the egos and the conflicts and the which, of course, he is. I'm not saying he is. It, but they think more about that than they do about uh, his musical accomplishments because, you know, as great as Graham Nash is, you know, he's not Stephen Stills and he's not Neil Young and, uh, and he doesn't write the kind of deep metaphysical songs that, that David Crosby writes. So I don't know at the time what... I know what I think of Graham Nash now, of course, be, coming into music around the late 70s and of course you already have uh the guy's a legend already so but i guess at the time he was kind of just like the fourth guy yeah he's the guy that mends fences he's the good guy and blah 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 so you don't necessarily think he's going to come out with a killer album uh, but he does <laughs> <laughs> i i've been you know I guess I'll save this for when we wind this up, but it's just amazing how great all of these albums that the four members made as three of them made them as their debut albums. This was Neil Young made after the gold rush is already his third solo album, but his album was very much inspired by Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. So it's very, uh, it's just unbelievable how consistently great these albums are. And uh, I really, I really enjoyed this album. This is a really more of a, again, it's got the same people. You got members of the Grateful Dead. You got Jerry Garcia playing on this album. You got your stable of stars. You got Dave Mason. Uh, you got the great Bobby Keys on saxophone. You have uh, Phil Lesh, again, of Grateful Dead playing bass. Uh who did I really want to? Uh, I said Dave Mason, right? Oh, well, and, that, uh, uh, the engineer uh, caught my uh, eye. Uh, engineer caught your eye. Um, <laughs> Rita Coolidge. I just want to say Rita Coolidge, <clears throat> who is at the center of almost everything in the early 70s, and I think was Graham Nash's girlfriend at the time, actually plays... People might say when we say, you know, oh, Rita Coolidge, she came up with that coda in, uh, in Layla. Like, she's just a singer. You know what? I kind of thought that too. And I said, how did she come up with such a great coda for Layla? And then she plays song, two piano songs on here where she actually plays the, the piano that's the main instrument on it. And she plays, she plays really good piano. Like she's not just the girl who sang. She's a very uh, good musician, at least as far as the piano is concerned. I was very impressed because there's piano in every song, but they're played mostly by different people. Graham Nash plays sometimes and Neil Young plays piano sometimes on some of the songs. Of 
And uh, but she plays some very accomplished piano on this. I think more accomplished than anybody, as far as I'm concerned. Now I know how she could write Dakota for Layla because she's a very good. Uh, oh, are you thinking of Glenn Johns? Yes. Okay, Glenn Johns who produced and mixed the and Who. and engineered every band. The Who, the Stones. We're not going to even get into that because <laughs> Glenn Johns is a is a three part show on his own. Oh, a three-part series on his own. He's just like, wow. He was on everything. Uh, by the way, if you want a great book, pick up Glenn John's book uh, about his life doing all this. Fascinating book. Also equally bitchy about a lot of people. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, when you work with people like Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young yeah. and the Stones, and uh, he worked with the Beatles on Get Back, Let It they Be. They the idiots. You kind of got to oh, yeah. hold your tongue. Trust me, when you're the top in the, one of the top bands in the world, or even in a, in just a big band, in not a big band as in <laughs> top Dorsey or popular, anything like, but a popular big band, everybody's got egos at that stage, yeah. and he's ha, has some really good stories and some good stories about how these people are just people. Also, you know, they're also just people, people who play musical instruments, you know, and write songs. So, but I'm glad you pointed that out. Glenn Johns is another yeah. big name associated with this album. And uh, this is definitely, I think, of all the four albums, except maybe Neil Young's. Uh, this is the, a songwriter's album. This, yeah. this and After the Gold Rush this is about the songs. Me, I, I yeah. heard this and I was thinking, you know, a lot of songwriters nowadays, male songwriters, are doing ballads that kind of sound like this. But this sounds better. Yeah, this and is it more took organic. Me a while to figure out what the quality was. Uh, that, Rob uh, is very right. This is the kind of songs that you hear nowadays, but they're all processed and they're not real instruments being played and they're synthesizers. I got, I got to give you my theory here. <laughs> I think a lot of the ones that, that you hear nowadays being done by uh, newer artists, uh, when they're doing them, you know, they're, they're doing them uh, the best they can. They're thinking, okay, is this good enough? But I think Graham Nash in doing this, he wasn't thinking, is this good enough? He was thinking, how good is this going to be? Yeah. He already knew he was good. He had the kind of confidence that uh, shows up on this album. that you. I totally agree with that like. 100%. I think he knew how good he was. And I think he knew how good these songs were. He, and I think, I think that when he went in, and I totally agree with that. I think when he went in, he just said, let's get this down and let it do its, let's do its job. He has such a kind of an innocent songwriter's voice. Uh, he almost sounds like a you know a first year guy, but uh, it only takes about two or three lines in a song to listen to before you realize, okay, no, he knows exactly what he's doing. And these he's really anybody good. who thinks he's like uh, the the weekend of <laughs> of Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young should listen to these songs and if you just think oh yeah he does the he's the guy oh, yeah, who does yeah. he does marrakesh <laughs> express and he did the our house and oh i know that guy he does that nice was... filler in the albums you know what i'm listening to this and i've heard this album before but it just amazes me like i hear a song and it has to do a lot with him be having broken up with Joni mitchell which are is half yeah, the songs in this album. a lot album. of the songs you a hear lot that. of the songs but Boy, i'm telling you, you these songs i i just was like Wow, this kills me. Like literally this, like to me, the centerpiece of the album is um, I Used to Be a King, which I think is, uh, again, I w wish I would have wrote that song. There have been times when I felt exactly like that, like I was on top of the world and things were kind of working out and then you get some, you know, the, your girl breaks up with you and it's like, 
Oh, I, I got nothing. When things were good, <laughs> I got nothing. You know, yeah, things may be good, but doesn't I remember mean when things were. Good, oh, and he know? just, and then he got Jerry Garcia's uh, steel pedal steel guitar, and and it's just he just was writing like like um, in the zone, just like all the other four members. I we've been saying through this theme, 1970. I didn't pick this year. Just because we're just Nash and Young, let's pick 1973. Oh, nothing happened. <laughs> no, I picked 1970 because this was the year that not only did they release all release solo albums and Deja Vu and all that. Plus, I forgot to mention they were also <laughs> released Four Way Street, in that uh, it was recorded on the 1970 tour, and that is uh, one of fantastic fantastic live album one of the best live albums there is and that was also released we could have done that but we only wanted it five weeks <laughs> so this whole bunch of stuff they're on the top of their game they're in the zone graham nash is in the zone never made a better record although i want to say that crosby and nash made some great records together after this but uh it wasn't like there were one album wonders because there was these guys had songs up the caboose all of them <laughs> except steven steven really struggled through the last half of the 70s as did in in retro in retrospect everybody but neil young has has really kind of had trouble mostly with going a little bit too soft yeah you know yeah. uh it seems like uh all three of them decided to go the uh middle of the road route the which was not yeah but we're not concentrating on that. We're, that's why we're concentrating on this, because this is when they're on top of their game. You got a song like I Used to Be a King. Man, it just it just breaks you. It just breaks you. And you're realizing, this is Graham Nash writing this song. Don't anybody make fun of Graham Nash for being the fourth cog in the wheel. <laughs> Fuck you. This is the There's guy that wrote else. all these songs for the Hollies. Carrie Ann and King Midas in Reverse and all these songs. This guy knows how to write songs. And he's writing songs that some of them, like the political songs, some of them are so relevant today. Military Madness. Hey, this I happened today. didn't <laughs> know that that was his song until I heard this album. I'd heard that song on the album like, uh, or I heard that song about five or ten years ago on the AM radio. And that's one of those songs that just uh, makes me stop what I'm doing and, uh, and listen to it. It grabs my ear. I remember at the time I was thinking, okay, uh, the, the the fella singing this song who wrote this song, uh, you know, is this based on real life experiences or is he doing a character? I, I didn't know at the time, and uh, actually I still don't know. But <laughs> I found out from this out that's Graham Nash. Uh, Chicago was the other one I know I'd heard before, and only found out a few weeks ago that uh, that was him. Yeah, you mentioned that last <clears throat> week when I said after <clears throat> the show last week. When you mentioned like, hey, is that is that the album that Chicago's on? And I said, not the band, <laughs> <laughs> the song. Yeah, yeah. but uh, you know, yeah. I, I, I remember that song because uh, now it's a good song. It just hasn't dated well, obviously. No, as well as military military madness. We've seen the escapades, and we don't talk about this shit on the show, but we've seen the escapades in Washington in the last year, where there actually has been. And has been in other countries. This military madness, you know, where military is coming in and and it looks like coup d'etats are happening even in Washington, that these that song is just as relevant. And it's scary listening to it. And it, it seems because he mentions Blackpool, where he's from in this song, it does seem very... Um, yeah, uh, from his own experience yeah, after the war. He's an army brat. Yeah, an army brat. You're completely right on that. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to get it. Some of the songs, like, until I found out. Sometimes, you know, I say this, Rob, 
Like it's so it's never good to find out what songs are about. Sometimes it is, you know, it is. And one of the songs, it's a very short, not, none of these songs are really long because you know what, when you write a good song and you get your point across, it can be two and minutes and 20 seconds long. Mm-hmm. And it can be as good as a seven minute song because you've put everything in that you could in two minutes and 20 seconds you got your point across and you leave at just the right moment and you go wow that's like layla to me that's like seven minutes of layla except two minutes of this song now i heard and it's a it's a slight song on the album but when i found out it was about uh stephen stills uh breaking up with judy collins and that graham nash had written the song for him and then i read the words uh I got very emotional. I was just like, that's a beautiful song to write to a friend. Wounded Bird. You know, like that's a beautiful song to write for a friend. He's saying, hey, you got to get over your hangups, but we're here for you. You know, that kind of thing. It's a very personal album if you look at all the lyrics to it. And, um, and there are a couple of, the only song I didn't like, oh, Better Days. Oh, God, Better Days, which... Uh, that's the second song in the album. Second song in the album, right after Military Madness. And it has this... It has this different take on his breakup with Joni Mitchell, which is, you know, we just broke up and I'm feeling really shitty, but you know what? There will be better days. And I do remember the better days that we had. Both those outlooks are very refreshing, especially in the early 70s when, you know, you know, that song I'd never heard before. And I was looking at the number of listens and the two songs I have heard on this album, uh, I think are uh, two and five million listens. That was 20 million listens. And it took me about uh, 15 minutes of thinking about it before I realized, wait a second. That song has been like on a TV show or a movie recently. It has. And a lot <laughs> of people have heard it. And uh, <laughs> Which it has. I can't remember. I, I, it's, it's in my notes. But There's that, a few of them here. There's actually about two or three that it's been in. It, it's usually a pick four song to be on a, a TV show TV too. Shows and as an uplifting moment. And yeah, now for more people, people have uh, heard of Graham Nash, uh, the, those songs, than uh, they did back in actually the Actually, a couple of songs have been picked up. I can't think of the other song that's <clears> also been picked up quite a few times for TV shows. But... It's uh, it's it seems to be one of those albums that you find songs from that yeah. helps your team. <laughs> People are better days, songs yeah. that are really good and honest and sincere, but that no one's heard. Exactly, and I think put those at the end of their show. I don't <laughs> want to be nitpicking too much, but uh, I didn't get too much out of one song. I loved every song in this album except uh, "Be Yourself," which I just hated the chorus. It had that. Uh, it had that chorusy thing we were talking about before, you know, where you get kids to sing, and it doesn't have kids, but it has everybody saying "Be yourself." Just it just reminds me of the uh, Coke commercial. Okay, I, I love to teach the world to sing. You <laughs> <laughs> see, I'll hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> was everybody holding hands like they do it? A lot of you don't even remember the commercial, but it was because it was in the early seventies. But everybody holding hands and saying, "Live to teach the world," and that's what I thought of exactly when I when I heard him when I heard them saying, "Be ourselves." I seem to I like the lyrics and the verses on that one. I did like the verses. I did, but when it got to the chorus, I just turned me off complete and that was the only part just the course of this whole album i was thinking oh that didn't that didn't work for me <laughs> i know <laughs> chicago when i played it uh mm-hmm. i uh i kept replaying it about five or six times i love that song <laughs> yeah chicago it is I, a, I, you I, know it doesn't that's why you know the message about going to chicago obviously may be dated but i don't believe songs really date because if you can 
mentally put yourself in that position of the song of where it was at that time, it can move you just yeah, as much. It's still a good angry protest It's still song. a good angry protest song. And if you can get in that mindset, don't think of it, oh, Chicago's, no, there's no demonstrations down there. No, don't think of it like that. <laughs> just put yourself in, in, in 1968 when people, when kids are getting bashed for no reason. And then think of it. And the, uh, the trial of the Chicago And the, the Chicago 8 trial. Like, think of it like that. And then you're there. It's all you got to do. And it's a, it's an incredible song. And then you get side, like, ah. that's part of side two. Then you get Simple Man, which was written the day he broke up with Joni Mitchell, or should I say, Joni Mitchell broke up with him and just tore him apart. And it's such a beautiful song. And it's two minutes and 18 seconds long. And it's so beautiful because it's not angry. <laughs> it just says, I am a simple man and I do simple things. And all I want to do is hold you. But I can't. Beautiful. How long were they together? Not long. I would say about a year, maybe. They had okay. a house together. That's the house, of course, of the Our House fame. But um, I would say probably about middle of 69 to probably about the middle of 70. Okay. And then there was the whole Rita Coolidge thing with him and Steven and... And then uh, there's oh, so much going oh, on. You know what? Star, Somebody said star. that, and this is true. Uh, I didn't live through it, but it's just it just seems true. But it seems true when we were living when we were kids. But when there was nothing going on, like you didn't have a lot of TV and you didn't have games. But the world was changing really fast, and we were just really young, like we were babies. But. Somebody said, I can't remember what music, it might have been Pete Townsend, but he said, you know what, every year was about 10 years worth of stuff happening. And now it's like the reverse, right? Every 10 years, it seems like there's about one year one worth year of stuff. Worth of stuff. <laughs> that's really why people down. release albums every, once every five years. It's just, it's just, that's the way that life has turned out. But back then, you didn't have distractions that you didn't, all you waited for was the next album or the next happening or the next change. And it's funny, but this all that these people had to do was make music and find girlfriends. And that's why there was all this stuff, because you didn't have any distractions. I've, I've always viewed the, the musical lifestyle as a mm -hmm. uh, means of uh, continuing adolescence for far longer than it was ever intended. Yes, but even the time that we started, there was already outside, oh, you know what, you know, how about You're we... You're going to do stuff like this. And, how about uh, we... Uh, this is what the industry does. and uh, Cut off early so that we can go play... Uh, video games or something like they didn't have anything like that back yeah. then everything was either you watched boring tv or you made music <laughs> and connected with people that's why so much stuff happened because there was nothing to do and uh i don't know where i got on on that topic <laughs> because there was so much more to do you, you got a lot better at it and oh you got a lot better at it. there's more music being made there's and, more stuff coming and out there too, was yeah. more there was more human connections so yeah there was a lot of breakups is what i was getting at a lot of breakups a lot of people connecting with each other musicians don't connect with each other anymore they nope. connect with each other on twitter and messages <laughs> and it's ridiculous but that's the way of the world world changes things change you either adapt or you don't right it's not a better world as far as i'm concerned there are better things happening as far as, oh, you can, you know, if somebody's being followed, they can easily just bring out their phone and take pictures and they can say where yeah. you There are so many Boy, great things, I've but there are also... i so many times. Yeah, I know. It's happened to Rob. <laughs> it's happened to Rob. There are, and you can find out where your children are. There are so many good things that have happened since, like, let's say 1995 when the internet became the World Wide Web. 
But there has also been just as many things that have been detrimental, just like with any change. Hey, when a car comes, you know what? A lot of people died because of it. And, yeah. but, you, but, you're, but you know what? A lot of people's lives were saved. There's a good and bad to everything that you invent. And yes, this was a, a better time, but a lot of people got killed because they didn't have these phones that could tell them where they were too. And, you know, and, yeah, and stuff like that. Just... We're really getting off the topic. I also loved the song. Really got off the topic <laughs> on that one. I apologize to everybody. Um, Man in the Mirror. I love that. Another breakup song. Uh, got Neil Young on piano. I knew it was Neil right away because it was really sloppy but good. And I know he plays the wrong chords twice in this song. I know it. I listened to it. There's a change in this song. And I know he... I listened to it first. I said, wow, that's an awkward change. And then they kind of make the change again later in the song. And it was the piano that he was playing. I'm pretty sure that hit the both hit the wrong notes and he probably or hit the wrong chord. And he just probably said, hey, man, that's okay, man. I got the feel, though. Because that's what Neil does. That's what Neil <laughs> says. But I got the feel. Because I know there was two wrong chords in there. Um, still a great song. There's only one. There's no, there's no. Sleep Song is a very sweet song. And of course, it ends with uh, Chicago, which is a great way, the world. great way to end the album. And um, I've noticed one thing about protest songs: nobody um, um, uh, ever slurs their speech in protest songs or uh, makes the vocals blurry. Everything is perfectly clear; you can hear every word exactly. That's, that's a good point. I never you. thought about that before. <laughs> I never listen thought to any protest song. You don't have to go to a website to find the lyrics. You just listen no. to it. They're clear. And you never <laughs> you never have like one of those John Lennon, uh, you know, kind of vocal type thing where they go like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just this is just a, a just a stupendous album. It really, it just really it is. is. It's as good as every other every of the other solo albums and Deja Vu that we have. Released. I, I was going to try and even attempt to categorize or to compare it to any other kind of music. It reminded uh, me a bit of something between uh, the Beatles and the Bee Gees. Yeah, it is. But um, I don't know, the Beatles and the Bee Gees, but there's there's a lot of confessional pain in here too. So yeah. I don't know. Singer, songwriter, Beatles, Bee Gees, maybe. I could say it like that. Yeah, at a particular specific moment when the, you're going through the worst. Um, this is, uh, yeah, just as I was saying, this is... Uh, each of these albums, in a way, were different from each yeah. other, but they still had that connection of, of the the music of Crosby, Stills, Nash. This and Young. is a perfect example of four different uh, shades, four different colors. And now, after hearing all the the four solo albums, I'm kind of thinking, uh, Deja Vu should have been better than it was. It should have been. I know yeah. what I, oh, I know what you know what I was thinking is that is that you take this album. That was a good point because that's what leads me into this. Is that I would rather listen to this album because even though there are painful songs on here about breakup and everything. It's much more lighthearted. Even the songs about breakup, it's not like fuck you. Yeah. Fuck these you, Joni. Hopeful songs. These about, are songs these like, yeah, we've broken miserable up. Miserable breakup exactly. songs. Exactly. These are like, I'm in a lot of pain, but you know what? This may be for the best, and I hope the best for you, and better days will come. Yeah. And this is like the opposite of deja vu, which has this dark cloud over it. And this has a silver lining. This over has it. a silver lining, and it's so appropriate that it's the last album because it is the most. It is the album that has the biggest silver lining over it. That says, you know what? We don't get along too well right now with yeah. this group, 
but we will always be making music either you, together or solo. And this says everything about Crosby, Stills, Nash. You could Young tell Tim. David Crosby was in a dark place. Yes, when, uh, when yes, that, that was, and understandably. And mm. you could, you know, you could just, you could just tell that this is just a Deja Vu was a great album to start with because it showed like the seeds of discontent and it showed the fucked up status of that they were at the time. And this is a nice album because a year later, they're all happily being doing their own music free. And this album shows that. This album, it's such a nice bookend <laughs> to Deja Vu <laughs> because it shows that even when you go through the worst times, the, the good times are, are right at the end. Yeah. You know, and like the man said, all things must pass. Always... And this one shows that, yeah, they're going to have some bad times in the future a couple of years later on. <laughs> but you know what? That too ends, and this is an album that just shows, hey, we came out of this, you're going to get more, you're going to get four albums a year sometimes now, so what are you bitching about? So John, I always remember what John Lennon said, he said, well, now you're going to get four Beatles albums a year, so what the, why are you guys bitching so much? You just get four, if you want, I remember when he said, if you want, why don't you put three of uh, Paul's favorite songs, and off his new solo album, three of my favorite songs, three of George's and and a couple of Ringo's and you put that, you got your Beatles album, fuck off. (laughs) And I said, yeah, you know, because they're still going to say the same things that they're saying on their solo albums. So uh, I just like this. This is a nice way to end our series. It's an exceptional album. I give it four and a half stars. Like I've given every one of the albums and it's not a joke. I really think that they're excellent, exceptional albums. Everyone just short of being yeah, masterpiece. Yeah, this one I gave a four and a half. It came out from a, from a, a four because it, it just it's the lightest of the albums. It's the uh, it's the least dark. Yeah, it's the least dark album, and it's with still really, dark themes, really which is good. great to be able to talk about separating from Horrific somebody, and it's so painful, and to a, talk about yeah. and to talk about the hatred of military and war, and yet it comes out lighthearted at the end. Because that's Graham Nash. I think I think all of their personalities got reflected very well in all of their solo albums. I think mm-hmm. you you really got to know David Crosby at his mental state when you listen to that album. You really know where Stephen Stills is at. You really obviously know where Neil Young is at. Um, I think that's what you really want to accomplish when you make a, a, an album is where are you at that point? Is it true to yourself? And I think more than any other time these albums were made about not about commerciality all these four albums but about this is how i feel this is the message i want to make later on it got to be oh i want to make a commercial oh i want to say something different oh what am i going to do this was like i don't care i just want to get my song so and i'm talking about all four of the albums yeah exactly it's like you know you got it down let's just uh, do it and do it well you know, 1970 was a great year for breakup albums. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. But, the, you know, 1970, 71 was just a great year to make albums because um, it just, you just didn't dibble dabble with things. There wasn't a lot of, the more rudimentary it is, the more organic it is. Yeah, and the fact that the rules were all falling down right. and you could do more and more and not worry about what people, there wasn't as much negativity towards new music. Right. Exactly. So you know what we've had uh, immense enjoyment doing this this series. I didn't. I thought it was going to be fun. I didn't think it was going to be this fun. <laughs> um, but then this this 
show always surprises me. Um, next week, that well, of course, that's our show for today. Remember, you better remember, people. Ross, I'm going to be really pissed off. We won't be on next week. Yeah. But we will be back in two weeks with a new episode and a theme. And the theme will be women who sing and they have big knockers. <laughs> no, that's not the new theme. Uh, that's not the theme. Uh, it's not even close. To the theme. <laughs> so until then, everybody, please uh, keep on taking care of yourself and stay safe. Just That sounds very demonic that people are gonna like I don't know what he meant. I think he meant me the devil be with you. <laughs> <laughs>